episode 95 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Tanya Bidry. I'm a pilot, regional pilot for Envoy Air, which used to be called American Eagle. And I fly the 140-145 Dallas State. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, I'm sitting down and talking with Tanya Bisri. Tanya is a current captain at Envoy Air, and she is doing some pretty cool things there. She is uh, she's a good follow. Go ahead and follow her on Instagram. Her tag will be down below in this description or on my Instagram page as well. AV Nation, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It means a lot seeing those reviews. I think right now we have something like 450 reviews, which is unbelievable. If you would have told me two or three years ago when I started this that we'd be on the 95th episode and having close to 450 or 500 reviews, I would say you are absolutely insane. But Aviation, if you want to go ahead and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. I want to go ahead and give a special shout out to our $20 shout out on the podcast. And today it is going to be Micah Maziar. Micah, thank you so much for being a great supporter of the podcast. I truly appreciate it, man. Aviation, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at pilot the pilot. Share this with all your friends. Get this podcast trending. Get it known for every single aviator or people that should be in aviation. Let them know about the podcast. Uh, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. So without any further ado, here's Tanya Bizri. Hey, Tanya, welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm so I'm a, I've am been following you for a while, not to make it sound like creepy or anything, but obviously from uh, from Chanelli and Gisela, I've been following you and I think a lot of other people have been following your career and kind of seeing what you've been doing and we're excited to have you on and tell your story. Thanks, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. I always like to find out what the original inspiration was for you to start a career in aviation. So what was the original kind of, like I just said, the inspiration for you to want to become a pilot? Um, so I started, I would say, um, probably working the ramp in uh, college. I went to Texas Tech from 2007 to 2011. I worked the ramp and gate and ticket for four years. Um, nobody in my family was a pilot or a flight attendant or anything in aviation. I just, um, I don't know, being around airplanes and seeing pilots and talking to pilots, I wanted to do that. I wanted to switch up my career. So I think that's what pushed me to it, I guess. When I was little, growing up overseas, I grew up in Lebanon. Um, I thought about, I'll, I like airplanes, but I guess never really thought about being a pilot or never thought I could be a pilot. Um, so I thought about maybe military airplanes. I used to draw little military airplanes when I was little, but um, yeah, I didn't. Cause that's all we had a really bad war when I was growing up overseas. So we saw a lot of military jets flying over, uh, not so many commercial. So I always loved, you know, the airplanes, but again, not commercial, like not a commercial pilot or anything like that. Didn't know I could be that. And then uh, when I made it, you know, over here, Texas Tech College, <clears throat> worked the ramp and talked to a few pilots. And um, some said, no, don't do it, run away. And some said, yeah, go take a flight lesson if you like it. So I was going to Texas Tech to be a nutritionist. And halfway through, I told my mom, I was like, I want to go to flight school. That's what I want to do. Were you born in Lebanon? And, no, I was actually born in Denton, okay. Dallas. And then, um, we moved back. Uh, we moved to London for like a year, two years. My mom had to go to school there. She went to get her master's. So we moved with her to London and then went back to Saudi Arabia for a bit. My mom is Saudi. My dad's Lebanese. And then we moved back to Lebanon. And then I was there for about 10 years and moved back to the States in 2000. So you lived pretty much all over the place then. You're like a world traveler before you were like 10. A little bit here and there. <laughs> Not like, there's still a lot of places I haven't been to. But yeah, I went from here to there and then back to here so what was it like to or i guess i'll ask this because you kind of mentioned you texas tech is kind of and the, the war in lebanon seeing the military planes was there kind of a culture of aviation at all was it accessible other than the fact of you seeing military airplanes or was it kind of all like 
there is really no path for you to do that in Lebanon? Over there? Yeah, well, there is. I actually have a friend of mine right now. She's in the cadet program for Middle East Airlines. Um, it's, it's getting better, but I can't remember like at the age of 11, 12, 14, seeing anything that would, uh, you know, encourage females or um, anybody that wants to pursue a career in aviation to go this specific route. You know, like sometimes we have all these, um, I think I saw like Delta has this thing where they take uh, middle schoolers, like female middle schoolers around these tours or trips um, to kind of encourage, you know, kids into aviation and whatnot. We didn't have anything like that back then. Yeah. I so guess. That would also so. be helpful to, to be able to see that it's an opportunity and see the planes. Yeah. Close. Yeah. But now I think they do. Now I think they have a little bit more and they do have flight schools and stuff like that and cadet programs. So Nice. Well, it's obviously needed. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Middle East Airlines is pretty big over there. So. They're the ones that do all that. I don't know the culture very well, as well as I probably should, but is it is it welcome for women to be pilots over there? Is it kind of like a taboo topic or is it pretty accessible and pretty pretty widely accepted? It is. It is actually very accepted. Um, there's uh, Lebanon is very open. It's um, Like I said, my mom's from Saudi Arabia, which I think Saudi Airlines is just now starting to accept female pilots, but um, Lebanon is the total opposite. Yeah, they they had no problems. They've had female pilots for a while. Um, I think I'll actually send you uh, or I'll like tag you in something. There's there's this really popular chick over there. She flies from Middle East Airlines. She's the captain and her husband's the captain as well. Oh, cool. Or or maybe he's an FO, something. But yeah, it's 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 around. It's not there's not a lot of female pilots, but now you're starting to see more. But Saudi for a while um, said no female pilots. That's crazy. It's 2020 and we're finally getting female pilots in Saudi. Well, they're just starting to drive over there. So, yeah. yeah. That's wild. Well, I'm glad that it's all changing. Let's let's go back to you. Let's talk about kind of going to Texas Tech. And you were nutrition and then all of a sudden you're like, Mom, I think I actually want to be a pilot. I think I want to do this. What made you actually make that jump? What made you, what was like the, the final thing that pushed you overboard to actually make the switch? Taking a flight lesson. That one flight. Was it an intro flight? Actually, I got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that, and then I paid for, like, an extra one, like, an actual lesson where they taught you some basics, I guess. I can't even remember. And I got pretty nauseous. I'm not going to lie. I was actually really... (laughs) It was so bumpy. The winds were gusty, but... um, But, yeah, I remember I came... I got back to my apartment. My mom was in town visiting. I just walked in my room, and I was like, this is it. I want to do it. And her advice was not to juggle two watermelons at once what she said she's like finish one thing and then start another so so did you finish what, nutrition and then go to aviation or did you just I, quit nutrition and go all in aviation so the course i was on to be a nutritionist is you graduate with four years in a nutrition degree but in order to be a dietitian you have to do a master's which includes you know your two years in an internship um which i can't do if i want to go to flight school after college so i tried i thought it was possible do my four years while I was going to that same flight school that I took that that intro whatever flight lesson was with uh, with Jacob I guess my first instructor I came like thing but yeah uh, so I tried to do both and I quickly realized I wasn't going to be able to afford it because I was working my butt off over there at the airport and um, I went from like I think I was working almost like thirty something thirty eight thirty seven hours and I was going to school full time. So I would like work the ramp from like, you know, 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then come back and close. And I was doing everything I could to try to afford like one flying lesson, you know. But I, I, I don't know. I just, it was going to take me like nine years to graduate with a bachelor's. So I just put that on hold. I only took like three or four lessons in Lubbock. And then I, uh, I finished my degree, but I only did nutrition. I didn't do the dietetics program. So I didn't do the master's. I finished uh, college and then I went straight into flight school after that. How hard was it knowing that like you wanted to be a pilot and you didn't want to do anything with nutrition really? Like maybe you had kind of like a hobby where you still wanted to do nutrition, but not necessarily get the masters and be a dietitian. Was it really hard for you to be concentrated and not keep looking toward aviation the whole time? It was because my counselor, I remember called me and said, you have to, cause you have to have a portfolio like to submit for your masters. And she's like, all I see here is you working around airplanes. You have to make a decision. You're either going to, 
to work with airplanes or you're going to apply for the dietetics program. And she said, you only have, you know, however many months to submit your portfolio. And I said, I, I'm going to flight school. So. See ya. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. What was your, what were your choices for flight school? Was it to stay in, in Lubbock and maybe train? I don't know if they have a 141 school there with the university or did you just go to a local airport no. in the area? Yeah, it was just a local airport right there, whatever it was. Lubbock Aero, I think it was called. Um, but uh, no, I uh, I decided to go uh, to, I heard about ATP, you know, so I did that, which ATP, I moved back to Dallas. I did it in Dallas. What what airport did you do to Dallas? Arlington. Okay. Yeah, there are so many flight schools in Dallas. It's crazy. You're talking about Denton. I know. It's like Denton has a huge, huge amount of uh, flight training. <laughs> And then you have Arlington. There's just so much down there. It's wild. I mean, we fly into we fly into Denton. I used to fly in there with freight, and it would be. I think they do a bunch of. Is it foreign students at Denton? Maybe like Chinese kids. And it was yes. always kind of interesting going in and out of there and trying to be like because some of them don't speak the best English yet, and they're still working on that. So it always made it a little extra challenging going into one of those airports. And then they had the tornado go through there a couple of day, a couple of years ago. That, like tore up all their not all their planes, but some of their planes. So it's definitely I interesting out pictures. there. Yeah. Yeah. What was your training like once you uh, once you finally made the jump? And I guess you're you're done with school. You're doing something that you really want to do and really love. What was the training like? It was intense. I did the zero to six months. And you get all your ratings, like all your CFIs, everything. Um, it was. I told everybody. I said it's not. I wouldn't say it's like you know. It's not mentally challenging. It's it's it is. It's intense in a way where you kind of have to zone everything out you know you don't really you lose your friends you don't have a social life you're flying every day i think we got like christmas and thanksgiving i think um but if you're not flying you're doing something at the flight school so um you have to kind of keep up with a program where they don't want you to you know skip a check ride or fail a check ride and all these checkpoints so and if you don't want to do the zero to six months program they offer you the other program which takes a little bit longer it's more expensive but you can sort of take your time if you have a job or, you know, you have kids or something like that. So they have different ways to do it. But if you commit to the zero to six, then you have to do it in zero to six months. That's crazy. That's, I mean, it kind yeah. of prepares you for what the career is going to be like because it, you treat it like a job, right? Like it's every single day. Exactly. There's no breaks. Like you're just doing it. There's yeah. kind of a problem. Like, I guess one problem with that would be is maybe the burnout rate would be pretty high because... I mean, you're yeah. obviously going to get tired of something. You're going to just not want to go training one day and you can't afford to not do it because you miss one day and then that could push your check right off by who knows how long, mm -hmm. especially with the weather in Texas. It's just like, it's pretty, that just seems like the burnout rate would be pretty high with the six months zero to here. 100%. Yes. There were days where I was burnt out where I did want to not get up out of bed or, you know, not go up to fly. It would have been, you know, a perfect pretty day, but you're just tired. So yeah, I, I just remember always like pushing myself, like you have to. And when you start to think about like the time and the money, it's kind of you're forced to, to kind of finish it up. So yeah, it is intense, but um, some people always ask me like, is it hard or what if I'm not good at math or stuff like that? And I try to explain to people, it's not, you know, it's not like rocket science hard, but you just have to really be focused and dedicated. If you kind of go into it um, half-assed or maybe not a hundred percent wanting to be a pilot, you know, then you're going to, I don't know. It might be very hard to push through the whole zero to six months at first. Yeah. How long? So let's say you start at zero. Do you remember how many hours or how long it took you to get your private? Oh God, no, I don't. Was it like a um, week later? You're like, oh, I'm a private pilot lesson. Got 60 yeah, hours Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty quick. I remember soloing and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, I just started um, on Monday and it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they actually like, they'll put your name on the board. Like we had this, you know, TV and it's like, you start and you know when your check ride is and it's it's pretty quick i wanted like your instrument was like what, like a week and three days or something like that i remember that yeah it's really intense so i can't remember the private it's definitely not for everyone like it clearly works because no. obviously they've been doing it for a while and they've had success with pilots but there's also the people that probably don't finish it and maybe kind of wash out because of that because it is so intense. And that's kind of the beauty of training is that you have so many options to train. So if that doesn't work out for you, then you have literally thousands of other flight schools that you could go to, you know? Yeah. That's what I tell everybody. Like the intense or the zero to six pro or zero to six months is a very intense program, but uh, make sure you have nothing set aside. Like you're not buying a house. You're not, 
about to have a baby or going through a like it's really you have to be very focused on just that because you don't want to wash out of the program you don't want to spend all that money and time and then just you know waste it so there's so many other flight schools that can work with your schedule or do the longer program if you were if you were going back to school so say like you're you're 18 you're graduating high school you're reapplying and you know you want to be a pilot before you go to college do you think you would have done things Mm -hmm. a lot differently or do you think you would have gone to atp still um i would have started earlier if i knew at 18 i wanted to be a pilot or i was going to be a pilot i would have started earlier um but then if i would have started earlier i don't think i would have done atp i would have done another flight school where it's not so rush rush nothing against atp like i said they have a way to make things work but there's a lot of pilots that do atp because they want to finish in six months so it's like a time crunch you know but there are people that get out and i and i was one of them we, you know you graduate or you leave and you have everything and you're just like what just happened like i need to go back and you know, review. Now I have to teach somebody. You know, it's very quick. So, yeah, I would definitely say if I could do it again, and I was at a younger age, I would probably go somewhere else. Speaking of it being very quick, and you going to teaching people, did you then teach at ATP? No, no, I actually didn't. Um, I left Dallas to come back to Houston, and I was going to stay with my mom here in Houston because she has a house here. And I was like, let's just because you know now all the bills are piling in. Like all the, <laughs> now you got to pay for it. Bills. Yeah. <laughs> so my Texas tech bills are coming and my ACC loans are coming and, um, I'm not making any money. Cause when I was going to flight school, I had my own apartment in Dallas and thankfully my mom had helped me with that. So, you know, I couldn't basically stay there, um, and pay for that. So I had to come back and maybe work at one of the flight schools here in Houston. But, at that time, it was when the 1500-hour rule came out and all the FOs were, yeah, leaving to get their time. So basically, I was on a list at some of the flight schools out here because they were giving priority to airline FOs to come in and instruct. So I, I didn't find uh, a job in Houston uh, right away um, instructing. So I ended up hopping around. I did a, a corporate gig for a little bit, and then I did... I did right seating, semi-flight for a little bit, just trying to do something, you know? It's crazy how you brought up the fact how you couldn't find a flight instructor job right away because now I feel like if you yeah. have enough time to be and you are a CFI, anyone will take you and they actually pay you pretty well. But it wasn't too yeah. long ago where it was almost impossible to find a CFI job and you had to have like 500 hours, 600, 700, uh-huh. 1,000 hours and you had to be a pretty pretty good flight instructor to get a good job. So it's, cr- it's just crazy how it's all changed and all it's all changed for the better. It is. It is. It is getting a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, for a while I sat back and I was like, I can't find so I was just trying to find any job at that point because I had to pay all my student loans and, um, and that was challenging. So then I was very, very grateful after that whole year of doing side corporate gig, which did not work out. Um, I, yeah, I ended up uh, flying pipelines out of Houston. Yeah, and it worked out great. How? What kind of planes were you flying? Uh, 172, 182. Were you flying like really low to the ground? Were you like at 500 feet or 1,000 feet doing pipelines? Yeah, like seven, 500, yeah. That sounds yes. awful. Yeah, it was. It was. You smell like a goat by the end of the yes. day. Yes. Oh my gosh, uh, yes. <laughs> oh man, it's so bumpy. It's it's like, and but here's the thing. There was good and bad. Like you smell like poo when you get done with work you're flying a lot like seven six hours a day but they were so flexible with the hours in the day like as long as you flew routes you know certain routes had to be flown twice a week certain routes once a week but you could like if you wanted to have the weekend off you had the weekend off if you wanted to switch things around and maybe like a wednesday off they were very flexible nice and the pay was great yeah that's good i did aerial survey so it wasn't necessarily pipeline and i didn't have very flexible hours they kind of told me what to do and i'd be gone for three weeks but we also did uh-huh. pipeline stuff, but it was different than yours. It was up at flight level 210 and an unpressurized 310. <laughs> and we were doing oh, pipeline all the way up there with the digital camera, taking pictures of the whole pipeline. Oh, God. That's, yeah. That's, wow, that's a pie. Okay. Yeah, we had sucking on oxygen for four hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it yeah was, no, ours was pretty It was low. interesting. I got... I. I really liked my the way I built my time. So I didn't become a flight instructor. I did aerial survey and then I went to freight. But 
I felt like aerial survey really taught me what it was like to be a pilot on the road and kind of what the life of a pilot actually is. Cause I had to, I had to do everything for myself. I had to book hotels. I had to figure out how to get the plane there, how to get hangar space, how to do this, when to schedule the the oil change or maintenance and all that. So it was kind of cool and some really good experience that you you can get outside of flight instructing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is that is good. No, I didn't. We everything they think. I mean, when it was time for it, you know, there was a hangar and a place over here they take care of it. But I was home every night, so yeah, I didn't really know much about being gone all the time until I until I came here to the airline. <laughs> What, uh, how many hours did you, did you spend there? Did you, did you go, did you build all your time doing pipeline patrol? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the corporate thing, I mean, we flew nothing. I mean, it was, yeah, I would say everything was pretty much pipeline. What kind of corporate flying was it? Um, it was, um, for a guy that flew for a big company here in Texas and, um, he needed like some right seat help every now and then on his flight. But it was very short flights, like San Antonio, Austin, every time they opened up a new place. Um, so I want to say in like a year, I maybe flew 50 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe. You're not going to get a lot of flight bad. time going from San Antonio to Austin. No, no. Honestly, I look back. Again, it's all an experience and you live and you learn. But it was it was terrible. It was it was not good. It was um, I wasn't paid the whole year. I thought I was going to get paid. It was, it's a, it's a long, it's a long story, but yeah, I just, I was like, this isn't going to work. So it was not good. I mean, that's good for you to realize that because a lot of people kind of get stuck in that and they don't have any other options and they're kind of just like, well, this is how I build my time. And they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's unfortunate that honestly, a lot of times people will, yeah, they take that. It's like, oh, okay, well, she needs this or someone needs that. But, um, it, yeah, I would there's some people out there that unfortunately just, I would say are not very nice to others. And I guess. And especially with like low time aviation jobs, it's really sketch Mm -hmm. because they don't want to pay a lot. They kind of want to do it under the table. They don't, some of them don't really pay attention to all the regulations and the rules and you really have to be careful. It was very sketchy. Like it was very, I was talking to another friend of mine. He did corporate for an actually a way bigger company, but, I was telling them all the things that like I went through and the challenges. And there were definitely a lot of challenges. I was a girl and, and I felt like there were things that, you know, that shouldn't have been happening. And he was just in shock. He's like, I can't believe that somebody even can operate um, like that. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's out there. It exists, which, you know, I hope that there's people out there that don't just give into that. But sometimes, like you said, people don't have time and they just want to do whatever they can. I was fortunate enough to, like I said, I had my mom. She's a huge support. Um, in my life. And she, she really helped out with a lot of things. So um, I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for her, but sometimes people I've heard, they just do things just to, you know, pay the bills or whatever, get the hours going. Sometimes they don't know any better. They just think this is what aviation is like. This is what building your time is like. And you kind of have to pay your dues no matter what the job is. So I'm glad that you were able to realize that you didn't have to do that. That's definitely huge. Yeah. But, what know. was your um were you kind of turned off from corporate aviation then from that because i guess that's yeah. probably your only experience with corporate so now yeah. you're out there building your time and you're probably swearing off corporate like all corporate yeah. jobs are terrible i'm never gonna do this <laughs> i was actually telling my friend that i was like i would never do because he was debating the airline you know the airline world versus the corporate world and you know his life was amazing he was telling me about all these you know exotic destinations the pay the people and and he loved it. And when he heard my story, I mean, he was just, he couldn't believe it. So yes, I probably do have a bad taste about corporate, but I also, I mean, I wouldn't tell anybody it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, that was just my story. I would, I would tell anybody that wanted to try it or had the opportunity to try it just, just to make sure it's, I guess, a legit operation, like you're saying. And sometimes the only way to find out is by, by doing it and taking that job because they can really sell you on the fact that they're a great operation. But then once time push comes to shove, you're like, Oh crap, Mm -hmm. made a huge mistake. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And mine, that's, that was mine. It's not so much the money, but I feel like I wasted time because a year is a long time. I could have been at the airline a year earlier, you know? Yeah. And that's huge, especially now, like seniority wise, you know, like yep. a year could make a huge difference. Like think about exactly. if the economy crashes or whatever and you, it could even be a day, a month, a week that can mm-hmm. separate you from upgrading for years and months. And it's happened. I know. It's crazy. And exactly. It's, it's really big. It's, it's a huge, 
but yeah, I, I just hope that other people, whoever, you know, decides if they, if they do have a chance to do corporate, it could be great and it could be sketch. So I guess, like you said, you just kind of have to go through it and see for yourself. Yeah. What was, uh, so now you're flying pipeline or you were flying pipeline and you're building all your hours. You would get 1500 hours before it was ATP a restricted ATP where you only needed a thousand. How did that work? No, the 1500, I got the 1500, uh, did the ATP rate and then it got hired on, not restricted. Did you apply as soon as possible? As soon as you hit 1500, you're oh, like, yeah. I'm out. Dude, I had it like on the calendar. I was like, this route and this route are going to top me off. I only applied to Envoy or Eagle back then because, so when I was in college, I did two years at or Continental Express and then two years at Eagle. Or maybe it was like a year and something at Eagle. Um, and so when I came back, I was able to keep my uh, employee, like I got my same employee number and I got some of my company seniority back. Not pilot seniority, but company seniority. So it's like so vacation like wise four, and stuff? Yeah, like okay. 401k vacation, stuff like that helped out. So Eagle was the only place I applied back to. I was about to ask what kind of what airlines you applied to because there's so many that you can apply to, but I guess you answered that question for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Envoy was the only one I applied yeah. to. And that was American Eagle before it kind of turned into what Envoy is now, right? Um, I mean, I don't know. I didn't know the pilot part of it. I know, you know, speaking to a lot of pilots back when I was, you know, ticket gate back then, you know, it was a lot slower. Things were moving a lot slower than what they are now. Um, but I think now with the turnover and people in and out, I mean, the only thing I can see is now, I don't know what it was like back then. Besides, it was just very slow moving with the flow. So... Yeah, and how long have you been at Envoy? Uh, let's see. I got hired April 2015. So yeah, I'm coming up on five. Five years. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wait, was it April? Yeah, yeah. it was April. Con- early congratulations. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I know. I got an email the other day. It said, "Come by and get like your nine years." I was like, nine years? Well, they're counting the years that I was there back then. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. You're like, sweet, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. Let me know when American calls. Bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, Envoy, you were there. How long were you a first officer before you upgraded? Um, no, I don't know when I upgraded. Let's see. Has it been? Because I got displayed. They were, like, you know, they're forcing upgrades at Eagle or Envoy. So, they, um, so I, um, yeah, I went because I got displayed. I want to say two two-something years as an FO. What was it like going from you flying a, a 172 or a smaller airplane to being into thrown into the regional world, flying a, a bigger and faster and more complicated airplane? I appreciate the AC. That's it. <laughs> that was like the one thing I was so happy, like just not getting bounced. I mean, just like a bounce around every now and then, but like just having like, uh, you know, sometimes when the packs work, you have some good air going in there. Sometimes but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes when they work. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's very challenging. Training was, because when I did my training with 121, it wasn't what it is now, which is ATP. Um, so it was very challenging. Um, the, everything, check ride, the oral. Actually, I failed my oral the first time around um, with Envoy. Yeah, it was, it was just a complete, I mean, I was destroyed. I feel like I just, I was, you know, it was very challenging for me to, like accept that to go through that. But, um, um, but again, I think looking back, I also tried to like memorize everything, know everything, you know, FM one, the gray book, the blue, but everything that we had, it's like, I wanted to get all that in, you know, a month. And I think I just overwhelmed myself with information that I probably, there were a lot of people in there that said, know this, know this, you can't know it all. But with how the 121 check rides were and the oral was, you didn't have like a gouge on what you were going to get asked or you didn't know literally my oral was he sat me down in front of like the paper simulator and he just said every button in here is fair game. And he literally went to like every single button on every single panel. And now it's different. Now they have it split depends on what cycle you're on and they can ask you certain questions. So yeah, it was very hard. Uh, the training was hard. The flying was awesome. People with my IOE guys, people I fly with, it was great. But I would say the the 121 uh, training was definitely very challenging coming from a 182, 172 to a jet. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of like hang on tight and hold on and yeah. try to just get all the information you possibly can. 
And it's really yeah. hard, like you said, because you want to know everything, but it's almost impossible to know everything in the airplane. Yeah, yeah. And the people that were in my class that actually did only know the basics of what they had to know are the ones that did great and like passed the oral the first time around because they didn't overwhelm themselves with information. So I probably shouldn't have done that, but I didn't. I just thought I had to know it all because they kinda, you kind of get that vibe when you go in, you know. I mean, yeah, you also want to know everything. Like you're a new pilot, you're coming in, you want to impress everyone. You've probably done well in all the other training and impressed everyone else. So you're like, well, hey, if they can't learn it all, I can learn it all. You know, you kind of want to show everything yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but now I know. <laughs> what kind of, um, what kind of flying would you guys do? What were your routes mainly? Um, all over Texas. We do the same thing. Yeah. So we do the 140 and 145O. They do, it's um, basically Mexico, Canada, and um, like East Coast. We don't go anywhere on the West, really anywhere. Now the 175 is doing that. So yeah, pretty much everything except for like, um, even we go all the way up to like Springfield, Illinois. Or yeah, we can do that. We can do like Miami, Cleveland. That's like pretty far. I did like LaGuardia, Memphis. We're kind of all over the side on that, like the east side, pretty much. I would say, in all over Texas. Yeah, you go to Laredo Mexico, quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, Laredo. I used to live in Laredo with my freight job. Really? Yeah. So Laredo is like kind of like not my favorite place, but I kind of have like a little soft spot for it because I was there so often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Laredo. We go there a lot. Texas are alternate a lot of times. Yeah, it's really funny because every time I would see an airline coming out of Laredo, it would always be one that was like mismatched. Like they pulled a tail from another plane to put it on here and they just like <laughs> never bothered to paint it. Or it was always like the oh, older yeah. airplanes that flew in and out of Laredo. So it was, it was definitely like, oh, even yeah. the airlines are kind of like, that's Laredo. Yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place. That's for sure. Do you guys overnight there at all? I think, yeah. Yeah, we go there. I think we overnight there. Yeah. Everything tends to kind of blend in sometimes. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah, we do overnight there. What, um, so how was upgrading the captain? What was that like? Was it equally as hard or was it pretty easy since you knew the plane pretty well? Um, it wasn't, the training was a lot easier than what I thought it would be, you know, the airplane. And it's a quick, uh, like two weeks, I think of what it is. Um, so yeah, you pretty much just kind of have to know where to put your hands and the hardest part was getting out of the seat. I would say. <laughs> Don't turn left, hit the stuff. window. Exactly. Like your hand, you know, to slide the seat in and out, like the levers on the left and not the right. But yeah. And it can't, it, it, I would, it wasn't hard compared to like initial for sure. Of course, very, very easy, a nice, good, smooth transition with the way the program is now. Um, so yeah, I would say getting out on the line was another thing and flying, but the training was, was smoother. That's good. Would So I've always heard that like your first week off of IOE as a new captain, like everything happens to you. Did you kind of, oh, yeah. did that happen to you as well? Was it oh. kind of just like throwing all these things that you've never seen before? Dude, it was, am I allowed to curse? Or is it like yeah, you can curse. Yeah. Oh, it was a shit show. Dude. It, was, <laughs> it was a complete goat rope. Like my, my first trip on I, off of IOE, my IOE guy told me, he goes, everything is going to go sideways. Like, please don't say that. He goes, oh yeah, it's going to go sideways. And it did. I had shit weather. If he's probably listening, I had a shit FO and he knows he's a shit FO and I don't care. That's fine. Um, but the airplane had maintenance. Oh, it was terrible. And actually like three of my friends that were in the same class, like new hire class, they had all canceled and they were all like there, like encouraging me. Oh, it's your first captain flight, you know? And I was like, why aren't y'all flying? And they're like, oh, we canceled because the weather was that bad. But I didn't cancel. Is it up to the captain to cancel a lot of times or does the company make the call? No, the the company you can't cancel. SSC has to say, yeah, but it was bad. Yeah, it was definitely bad. There's a lot of shit that's dumped in your lap and for some reason, and it's, it's not even like the first trip. It's like the first few months. Like you see, I've seen more crap happen when I'm in the left seat than I ever did in the right. For some reason, that's crazy. Yeah, do you think you think all that stuff might have happened? You just didn't pay attention, or was it just like big stuff that just never actually happened to you before? You know, like losing pressurization three times, like bleed leaks, like bleed, like stuff, like actual things that I would probably remember as an FO. But um, I'm pretty sure there were like small things that I probably never noticed as an FO between like the captain, the dispatcher, but uh, big maintenance issues. I think I've seen more. But then again, I also think it's because these airplanes are retiring. So 
maybe they're on the way out. Who knows? Do you have plans to to maybe upgrade to a different airplane? Do you want to fly the the one seventy five, or are you kind of holding out here until you can get get the flow or go to a major? So I can't switch now because once you switch, you're seat locked in that airplane for fourteen months, um, and that does prevent you from flowing. So does when it, really? it was time for right. yeah, 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 that's how they you know saves them a lot of money from people swapping left and right. But yeah, when it was time to upgrade, there's actually the girl um, in my class took the 175. She upgraded earlier, a year before I did. And she took the 175, but she was on reserve for a whole year. She lives in Dallas, um, but she did like airport standby pretty much 90% of the time. And I think seeing her go through that, I, I just don't want, you know, commuting on reserve is terrible. So I didn't want to do that. So I chose the 145 to have a line right when I get off of IOE, which it worked out. I did. Um, but I think I was, I had sent a message to the training center because I was hoping I could switch to the 175 um, without them seat locking me in. But also training, when they send you to training, is also based on seniority. So I said, is there a guarantee that you guys could send me to training pretty soon? So I'm not seat locked for my flow. And they said there's no guarantee. So after like all of that put together, I was like, do you have an idea when your flow will be? Like, I mean, I don't really know much about the flows because I fly corporate. So I know that they kind of like say, oh yeah, sometimes you can flow in four years, five years, six years. Is it very dependent on a bunch of things or is it kind of set in stone? No, it is. It changes. Like right now, like when I got hired, they said it was six years. And I think there was a guy I saw the other day in the van. He said he just got hired. He's on the 175 and they told him seven years. Oh, so, so it's going I up a little bit. I think it might be going up. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Mine's supposed to be November of this 2020 um, is when I'm supposed to go, but we'll see. How does that work? Is that like November 2020 hits, you get an email from American. They're like, congratulations, you're now an American Airlines pilot. Your training is this date. Or is it like you start so, training on November, whatever that date? So it, it might, it, it, they say November 2020 is when you're supposed to be an American, but I think we were looking at like the table and the people that are flowing and counting because they're supposed to flow like 30 pilots. You know, every time the contract changes or there's a new letter or something, they update how many pilots are flowing in a group or whatnot. So right now I think they're flowing about, don't quote me, maybe 28 to 30 pilots a month to flow to American. So that's supposed to slow down, I think, in the summer. And then, um, once that stops, I think the number goes down of people that are flowing or pilots that are flowing to American. I think it goes down to something less than 20 pilots a month. And so that determines when you go. So if we counted like 30 pilots a month and where I am on the seniority list, and I would get a letter from American in like six months that says you're supposed to be an American in like, you know, whatever, two months. So six months I get the letter, maybe a month or two after that, hopefully I'd be in class. Like and an actual class. There's no interview, right? It's like you go straight to class. Yeah, yeah. Like you leave Eagle, turn in your badge, your iPad, and like next week you're in class. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it happens. It's, yeah, I really do, man. I really do hope it happens. But I want to get my hopes up because stuff changes and, you know, who knows? They say 30 pilots and then it goes down to like two. Yeah, it's, I mean, like we kind of talked about, it's very dependent on a lot of things. And obviously the economy plays a role into it. Oil prices, like there's so many things that that play a role into that flow program. And I mean, it is great. It's a great way to get more people into American. And it's also nice that you don't have to go ahead and interview again, which must feel really good. But it's like, there's, it just, sometimes it might not be as good as it seems, you know, like there's always kind of caveats to everything. True. And people that were here back in the day, like way before my time here at Eagle, it took them, you know, 12, 13, up to 16 years to flow. So you know, sometimes I think what's six, you know, it's really nothing to bitch about. Sometimes it's just got, I got to keep it together, but I couldn't imagine 16 years, 16 years. That's a long time to be at a regional. Yeah. And a 145. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Flying to Laredo and Del Rio all the time. Oh my God. Five months a day. <laughs> yes. It Maybe ages a Brownsville turn in there too. Oh God. Yes. I was just there not too long ago. That's really funny. One of the worst wins I've ever experienced was in Brownsville. I think it was like gusting to 50. It was right down the runway Ooh. though. Yeah, it was, it was not oh. fun. Jeez, you could yeah. lean into the wind and it was holding you up the whole time. And then when the wind gust left, you just fall to the ground. That is crazy. Yeah, it was pretty wild. 
Uh, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, flows are great. Flows have really kind of helped out the the regional the regional pilots get to where they want to get. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing at all. I think flows are amazing. But I've also known that people keep their options open. Like, I, can you still apply to American outside of the flow, or is that kind yeah. of okay? So you can get yeah, hired yeah, before yeah. your flow then. Yeah, like I have my application out, but um, yeah, there's lots of people that have gotten hired before the flow. I don't know what the trick is, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, they look at you. me, please. I know, right? Yeah. yeah, mass email every single chief pilot of every single base over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, but yeah, sometimes I've heard, you know, no, you have to have 500 hours PIC. I've heard, no, your uncle has to work there. I've heard, I, I don't know what it is. I've heard you have to be a check airman. It's so many different things, but um, you ever like ask somebody, you know, that I've asked a few recruiters and chief pilots and they're like, no, we don't know what the magic is magic way is to get yeah. people in here. My dad flies at American and I can't get hired at American. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, That's I have no crazy, idea. Really? Yeah. See, I, I, I was flying with a guy. His, his dad was at United. And he was like, yeah, the dad said, as soon as you just go through captain class, like get that, you know, rating and, and like, I can get you into United or put, you know, put a good word in. So I don't know. It's, I guess maybe it's a different airline or. Yeah. Who knows? You should be an American. You should go. <laughs> I mean, if they what call it, I think about it, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you do corporate stuff now, right? Yeah, I do. So I fly corporate right now and I, I really enjoy corporate. And the place that I'm at has a pretty good career path. It's probably the, one of the better corporate places. You, we're pretty much an airline. We have close to 500 airplanes, I think all in all together, including Europe and other stuff. We have 700 airplanes total, which makes us like the oh, fourth wow. biggest airline in the world if you add it all up. So we're, we're pretty big, pretty prominent. And we do some really cool flying. I never know where I'm going to go, which I actually really like that. And yeah. you know, the whole thing of flying the same route over and over again does sound boring, but the airline pay sounds pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it sounds like a pretty cool gig. Yeah. Like I said, if you're with a good company. Yeah. Flying a brand new, pretty much a brand new plane too. We have, a, I think just over a hundred citation latitude. So I think each one made the oldest one we have is probably two years old flying brand new Garmin G5000 equipment. So, I mean, life's pretty good. Oh, I don't jump seat on our airplanes. Then. I won't. Or at least not my 140. <laughs> we, we don't jump seat. They buy us airline tickets everywhere we go. For, oh, God. For, for rub it in my face. <laughs> yeah, but that's, a, that's the worst part of our job, honestly, is being on the airlines and sitting in the seats and kind of... Really? You know, yeah, because we... I mean, we don't really... We're in uniform a lot, so people think we fly for the airline. So whenever there's a delay, yeah. we get like the stink eye and we're accessible to them. So like, why are we delayed? It's like, I don't know. I don't fly for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know where your gate is. I'm sorry. I can help you find it, but I don't know where it is. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. I've heard a lot of good things, like I said, about corporate. I don't, yeah, maybe I just got the not so lucky one. Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting times too because like I said, corporate has to kind of step their game up to keep up with the regionals. So they have to find a way to get a pilot from going to the regionals to where they're like, well, my flow's almost up. Why would I leave? So they need to find a way to attract those pilots too because there's always going to be corporate flying. There's always going to be people that want to fly in their own private jet or want to kind of do their own thing. So it's it's something, it's just an interesting time for aviation. Yeah, that's true. So is your, is your goal American Airlines, is that kind of always your goal or would you go to another airline if they hired you too? No, I'd go to another airline. <laughs> yeah. Anybody call me? Hell yeah, I'll leave. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't have anything tying me to like American or Texas or I don't know if I would do international. Like the longest time my family in Saudi Arabia, they were like, why don't you come here for Emirates? You know, but I don't know if I would do anything overseas, but I would, I would go, you know, the three major ones like United, Delta, American, that's what I have my application out with. Yeah. That is interesting to think because you probably have, I don't mean, I guess a lot of people have the ability to go fly the Middle, Middle Eastern Airlines. And for a while, that was kind of a pretty good track when the U.S. airlines weren't paying very well. But from what I've heard, I feel like those might have dried up a little bit. They're not paying as much or hiring as much, or is that wrong? No, I've heard that. I've heard they're not. Uh, I met a guy on the Dumpsting United, um, the 777FO, and he said he was there at Emirates for five years. He said he loved it. You get to see the whole world. He said, if you don't have a family and you're single, do it. Um, but you're gone a lot. He said the trip trading, the flexibility you have here in America with schedules and, and the union and all that kind of stuff is is not something you'll get to do over there. So it depends what you're, if you're looking for money and seeing the world, they do pay well, but you're gone all the time. So he said it didn't work out for him because he had a family and his wife wanted to come back home. Um, but I've heard good and bad. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. 
it kind of depends on who you are and kind of like you said, yeah. the, the space you're in in your life. Like there's a time and place where going halfway across the, the world to go fly and travel the world. And then you have a family and your priorities change pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. So it depends Yeah, where you are, with your family, who you're with. Yeah, everything changes. What's one of your um, your favorite things about working for an airline? Like, I don't know if it's uh, like a certain route that you have or the, the plane you fly or the people you fly. Is there anything that you do? Honestly, like, that's cool. Probably just the, the people, people I fly with. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that. There's a few pilots we're all flowing next, or this year. And we were saying how we're going to miss, even though, you know, we gripe about this or that or, you know, five legs a day or whatever. But we're going to miss, like, the people that we actually fly with. It's a, you know, it's a small regional. Well, we're not that small. But, you know, at American, I heard that the crews aren't, um, the flight attendants split from the pilots or you never know who you're flying with. Every leg is different. Um, at Eagle, it's, you kind of develop a bond with certain people. If you know, if you have a good crew, it's a great trip. You can have a great trip on a shit crew, and it's you want to go home. You know, so I think if anything, I will miss seeing like all the people that I fly with, the FOs or the captains that I flew with, and stuff like that. Do you have a dream plane that you would like to fly, like a dream airliner? Probably seven eight. Yeah, yeah, seven eight would be cool. Yeah, it would be. That's pretty awesome. That's the only thing. But yeah, I don't know. Whatever they give me, I'll yeah, take it. But, I'll take anything, yeah. please. Just I'll fly the Mad Dog if you bring it back. Just let me go. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll yeah, shovel coal so. if I have to. I don't need a GPS. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it work. Yeah. yeah no, the 7-8 is very pretty. Yeah. 7-8. I mean, I'm friends with Dustin Johnson. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, he, I, isn't he in training? Yeah. He's doing the 7-8 right now. And it's like, dude, you're making me jealous, man. Like that is a pretty sweet plane. That is a very nice. Uh, he's got a pretty good gig right now, so. But yeah, he does. He's always swapping like from one good airplane to like another. Yeah, it's always. He's like a walking American Airlines promo too, so they need to. American needs to find a way to keep throwing his stuff out there, so more people can yeah. see it, make people more jealous yeah. and want to go there. That's true. Yeah. yeah, he's doing good. Well, cool. I have a rapid fire section for you where I'm just going to ask you a bunch of uh, random aviation questions, and you just say the first thing that pops into your mind. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Okay. What is your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Uh, the Satabria. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite corporate airline or favorite corporate airplane? Mm, no, because I, you know, the only thing I did, you know, the right seating was a Hawker. That's the only thing I know. What about one that, like, maybe just like when you haven't flown, like a, a Gulfstream or a Global? Do you ever look at those and you're like, dang, those are cool? No, I'm not too familiar, honestly, with all the corporate ones. I went to like one of those conventions where you can see them all parked out there and they're really pretty, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what they are. They all look really pretty. That's though. really funny. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Uh, ugly? Oh, I don't know if any of them are ugly. <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs> there are? I don't know. What's an ugly one? I don't know. The Piaggio is my least favorite airplane. Piaggio, I'd have to Google it. Yeah, it's like a catfish. Um, We'll, call, oh, okay. we'll, call, we'll yeah. circle back. We'll, we'll give you some time okay. to think. Okay. <laughs> What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? How much flight school is going to cost me at the end. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. Who is someone in the industry that you would like to meet most? It could be someone that's alive or someone that might've passed away. In the industry? Yeah. Like a famous aviation pilot or someone just like involved in aviation that you would love to have the opportunity to talk to. So it could be like a Charles Lindbergh, Amelia Earhart. It could be anyone like that. Oh, probably, uh, yeah, Amelia Earhart would be nice to meet her. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Traveling. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? Oh, God, hardest approach. Uh, Aspen, but it was in the sim, not in real life. <laughs> Have you gone to Aspen? No, never uh, been. We go there quite a bit. We pretty much yeah, live there. Yeah. yeah. It's always fun. What is your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Mm, it can be as a passenger or it can be as you flying the plane. So it could be like a crazy one out in the Middle East or all over the world. Um, no, I would say Puebla flying would be Puebla because we have, there's two active volcanoes on each side of the runway, like in between. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That one flying it. Um, and then as a passenger, I think St. Martin is really nice. Yeah. St. Martin's awesome. I was just there like three days ago. I just got to land there uh, for the second time. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't want to come back. Chicago, I live in Chicago and coming back and the weather was like nine degrees with the wind chill to like negative 15. I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to go yeah. back home. Thank you though. I don't blame you. Yeah. 
What's one of your least favorite airports you've flown to? Um, least favorite guy, Del Rio. Yeah, Del Rio kind of sucks. No offense, yeah. anyone from Del Rio. Yeah, I know. I was going to say. <laughs> no offense. Uh, do you like flying IFR or VFR better? So this can kind of go back to your training days or compared to where you are now. I'll probably VFR. Yeah. That'd be pretty. Would you rather fly over the mountains, beach, or city? Beach. What's your favorite airport food to have on a connection? Chicken filet. Yes. I call it chicken filet. It's the best. It is. <laughs> are you more of an Airbus fan or a Boeing fan? Ooh. Or whoever pays you the most to fly their plane? <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't know. I'm between both. I don't know. Like I said, I like the 7-8. I'd like to stick to the Boeing, but I've heard so many nice things about the Airbus. So I don't know if I've really made up my mind. Yeah. Fair enough. From fair the enough. outside, I like the Boeing. I like the way the Boeing right. looks from the outside. There we go. Well, uh, do you have a favorite airline livery? Mm. Uh, Qantas. Qantas? I haven't heard that one yet before. So there you go. That's a good one. Love Qantas, yeah. What is... Or would you rather fly... One long trip, so say like one six hour, seven hour, or longer trip, or would you rather have five short trips in a day? Yeah, I actually talked about that with my FO. Um, if I'm not swapping aircraft every leg, then five. I'd rather do that. If I'm swapping every leg on a five leg day, then I'd rather do one. What's uh, uh what is your worst experience you've had with a captain and FO? Uh, I have one of both. Which one was worse? You think? Yeah. I guess pick one. Yeah. Um, I would probably say the captain. The <laughs> captain experience was bad. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of bad experiences with captain FOs and it could just be a personality issue or it could just be that guy's kind of a, a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd probably say the captain was probably like the scariest or worst experience for me. The FO is just an attitude problem. I think it was the attitude, but the, uh, the captain was like a, yeah, not yeah. a good experience. <laughs> What's the hardest check ride you've ever taken? Probably this one, the 121 here, my initial. What's one of the biggest regrets you have? What is one of the biggest regrets you have in your career? Not starting earlier. What's the biggest win of your career so far? Actually doing it. <laughs> um, Piper or Cessna for a general aviation plane? Uh, Cessna. What is one thing you always have to have on you while you're flying? Chapstick. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, cool. Those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. You've survived. It is now done. Congratulations. It wasn't too bad, was it? <laughs> no, it was fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. It was fun talking with you and hearing your story and hear more about you and what you do and kind of learn more about what it's like and what life at Envoy is like. So it was really cool talking with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It. it was a lot of fun. And that is a wrap of episode number 95 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Like I said earlier, I cannot believe it's been 95 episodes. There's five until 100. We got to do something big for an episode number 100. If you have any ideas, let me know. Possibly interviewing my dad and maybe having my interview finally come out. So maybe I'll have my wife sit down and interview me and we'll kind of just talk about how I have gotten to where I am today and why the Pilot the Pilot podcast. It could be fun. But Ammunition, let me know if you have some uh, some feedback for me. Email me at pilotthepilot H hq at gmail.com check us out on instagram at pilot the pilot shout out to mike amaziar for our patreon of the week even that's all i have for you as always happy flying